First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 654 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast, and I've got a special episode for you guys today. Chad O. Jackson joins me on the podcast. Chad is the co-writer, co-editor, co-producer, and star of Uncle Tom 2, an American Odyssey. It is a documentary film which follows up the first one, Uncle Tom. And you guys know how much I harp on the fatherless crisis that we have going on in our country here. Nowhere is that affecting more people than in the African-American community. So many of the dads that are involved in this project here, Uncle Tom, too, you've heard right here interviewed on the podcast. I've had the honor of being joined by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, Dr. Ben Carson, Officer Brandon Tatum. They're all a part of this story that really, if you look at the fatherless households in the black community or in the African-American community back in the 1950s, it was almost non-existent. They were some of the strongest nuclear family units in the country. You fast forward to today, it's 70% of African-American children are being born in a fatherless household or being born out of wedlock. Even President Obama addressed this back in 2008 in a Father's Day speech where he said the fatherless crisis is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. So why is it that African-American nuclear families were so much stronger in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s? And then we had the civil rights movement, which you think would have just skyrocketed and really, really sealed the deal and strengthened the family units inside the African-American community. But that is not the case that has happened. That has gotten gradually worse and worse over time. African-Americans lead our country in fatherless households and the United States leads the world in fatherless households. So this is a major issue, and Chad O. Jackson brilliantly, with the rest of the crew, Larry Elder involved in the project here, take you through what has happened to the black families in this country. We know that we had uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which turned out to be just a huge hustle by the disgraced uh, co-founders of Black Lives Matter. I know Candace Owens focused on that. So much of what has happened in the history of what has gone on in the African-American community is laid out brilliantly in this film. I highly recommend everybody check out the documentary Uncle Tom 2, An American Odyssey. And I'm honored to have Chad Jackson on the podcast here to go through it all with me. Chad Jackson will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Chad O. Jackson was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and as I mentioned there, those interviews that I've done with guys in the film, such as Alan West, Ben Carson, Brandon Tatum, uh, Jesse Lee Peterson, you can find all of those interviews available in the archives of the podcast. Make sure you lock it in here. I got some great episodes to hit you guys with next week. Uh, we have Election Day happening next week. We also have Veterans Day. I got some very, very special guests joining me here. So make sure you lock it in to my Instagram account, at Alec underscore Lace, to check out who will be joining me. And let's go get in on that Family Made newsletter. Go to news.familymade.com. The newsletter being put out by the Family Made Media team is a banger. Every Monday and Friday, it'll be in your inbox. Obviously, uh, this past Monday, they covered all things Halloween. I hope you and your family out there did enjoy your Halloween, your trick-or-treating with your kids. 
But the newsletter is always tackling difficult situations, and we know there's no shortage of those for parents out there all around the country. So check out the newsletter, news.familymade.com. You can also participate, send in your questions. Uh, Sean and Andrew are so good about making sure they get back to everybody. Uh, They answer your questions. It could even make the next newsletter. So go check it out. The link is in the description of this podcast episode. Highly recommended for all you dads out there and for your wives or your spouses, your girlfriends, whatever it may be. Uh, Shoot them the link. Let them sign up for the newsletter as well. News.familymade.com. All right, if you get the opportunity, please help me spread the word about this podcast every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You know Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with Chad O. Jackson on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Chad Jackson. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thank you for having me, Alec. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I have four kids, uh, two boys, two girls. The two youngest are girls. Uh, they're two and four. And the two oldest are boys. They're seven and nine. So, yeah, very happy about about that. <laughs> yeah, very cool. I'm, I'm right there with you. I got four kids myself. I have three boys and then got the girl on the fourth try. So, okay. We're not even in the score here. We're gonna. We're, that's where we're at. <laughs> if you if you could, Chad, please take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so I reside here in Dallas, Texas. I'm 32 years old. Uh, I am an entrepreneur. I have a small uh, plumbing company. I'm also involved in filmmaking. Um, I do research for documentaries. Uh, we just recently released a documentary called Uncle Tom 2. Um, that goes into the uh, Marxist infiltration into America's institutions over the past century uh, and how they use black Americans in particular to to do just that. So, yeah, I've got a lot going on, wear a lot of different hats and, you know, being a dad is, is the best one. So, yeah, very well said. I'm going to get a little bit more into your fatherhood journey in just a second here. But you mentioned here Uncle Tom, too. I, I wanted to tap into this because. So much of the focus that I do on this show here is talk about the fatherless crisis in our country. It's it's really, I, in my opinion, it's the number one social issue that we have. And we could try to solve all these other social issues. But if we don't get to the point of strengthening our nuclear family units of all races, of all demographics, then I think we're just running around in circles here. What's your take? I, I agree 100 percent. And, you know, when you look at particularly uh, black fatherhood um, prior to the 1960s, uh, the family unit was very strong in the black community, especially in the South. It wasn't until after the 60s and 70s where you saw this rapid decline in the the black family and black fatherhood in particular. And that has a lot to do with demoralization. Um, the idea that rather than maintaining the culture uh, laid forth by our fathers and grandfathers, Uh, we resolved to look more like what we saw in the entertainment industry. Um, A lot of the pimping and hustling and lady chasing and things of that nature became vogue, uh, particularly for uh, a lot of black fathers. And when you when you put that in tandem with uh, feminism, second wave feminism, which was popular in the late 60s going into the 70s, which convinced a lot of black women, unfortunately, um, that you don't need a man that, you know, you can be independent and then you t- you mingle that with LBJ's uh, war on poverty policies, which came with 
the so-called men in the house rule. Um, all of these things work together where we just kind of walked away from our responsibility as fathers and our children suffered for it. Uh, thankfully, I was born and, ra- <coughs> and raised in a house with a mother and a father. Um, and when you juxtapose that to some of my friends who grew up without a dad, you definitely saw them struggling in many areas where a father would have been huge in their life. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And, and obviously, Chad, all the statistics point towards it. I mean, they're overwhelming the difference. And it, I always make sure that I say it's not to take away anything from single moms that are out there that are that, that are working two jobs to try to put food on the table. It's not to take anything away from them. And, and some of them will tell you, I don't need a man. And that may be true, but your child does. And I think that's where we make the mistake here. And I know I remember Barack Obama saying uh, in a Father's Day speech back in 2008 that, yes, the, the fatherless crisis here is prevalent in all races but nowhere is it more than in the African-American community. And he spoke, I thought, very well about it, but you never really heard him ever speak about it ever again. And it's a problem has only gotten worse uh, since that since that happened. And, and it just seems like uh, it has affected the African-American community in, in ways that you would think, you know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago, there would have been less dads in the home. And today there'd be more. But it's not that way. It's completely reversed. What was the main cause in your opinion, that the fatherless crisis is so prevalent in the African-American community today? Well, the only reason why Barack Obama said that is because he was trying to get votes. And he understands that a lot of the super radical progressive talking points don't work uh, during election time. Uh, People, for the most part, have some remnants of common sense. And we have a kind of intuitive or I would say uh, instinctive understanding of basic decency. And so you have to run on basic decency in order to win an election. It's not until a politician is actually in office where they start uh, uh, resorting to their true colors, so to speak. And that's true of Barack Obama. Uh, To answer your question as far as uh, what caused this shift, um, if you look at the history of Black America in particular, in the early 1900s, you had people in leadership like Booker T. Washington who taught that it's incumbent upon you to be a man. It's incumbent upon you to take responsibility, uh, to uh, basically be productive regardless of what your circumstances are. Um, And black people were doing that. Black men were doing that. They were taking care of not only their responsibilities as entrepreneurs and workers and farmers, so on and so forth, but they were also taking responsibility Uh, for their role as fathers and as men. And that included, or that continued uh, well into the middle part of the 19th century with people like Joseph H. Jackson, who was a Christian pastor who echoed exactly what Booker T. Washington was talking about. And that showed in a lot of the ways that black people were actually living in this country. Uh, What we get is this kind of revisionist history from our historians who say that, oh, the South was this racist hotbed, black people couldn't um, really get ahead and black men struggled. I, I looked into this matter and I found that the opposite is true, that we were thriving in America. And not only that, but black men and white men were actually getting along contrary to, you know, what they're being, what we're being taught in our schools. And black men were taking care of their families. White men were taking care of their families. It wasn't until there was a shift in rhetoric that came around the time of the civil rights movement where, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, because everybody looks at him as a hero, Martin Luther King was kind of peddling this narrative of we can't be men. 
because the system keeps us down and it keeps us behind and it oppresses us. And so what that did, whether advertently or inadvertently, is it embittered a lot of black men. It embittered the black family. And it took the onus off of us to be responsible, regardless of what our circumstances are, and to rather look to the government and look to policies that need to change in order to make me feel like a man. And so what what then do you do with this long track record of black entrepreneurship if what Martin Luther King was saying was true? Uh, people argue that, well, what Martin Luther King did is he helped in Jim Crow. Well, what I found in my research is that a lot of these Jim Crow laws were already being repealed well before Martin Luther King even came on the scene. So what was really going on? The whole point in the civil rights movement was to uh, expand the role of the federal government into small uh, companies and to private-owned companies. That was a that was a point of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, because in the communist worldview, the government owns the means of production, and so you have to subtly and gradually expand the role of government into the free market, into private companies, dictating who you can hire, who you can't hire, uh, who you can serve, who you can't serve, so on and so forth. These things were being uh, dictated by the state prior, uh, you know, during Jim Crow which was unconstitutional. And what we got as a result was the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which is also unconstitutional. So all that to say this, there was a shift in rhetoric that happened around about the 1960s going into the 1970s that took the onus off of me to be a responsible man and placed it rather on the government to take care of me and to, in a sense, accommodate me and to modify life for me. That had negative implications and ramifications for how we see ourselves as men and how we see our responsibilities. Rather than putting the responsibility on me to take care of my children, it now shifted to the government. And again, the feminist movement helped to to really kind of usher that in where a lot of our women began to trust the government more than they trusted us as their men and as our children's fathers. And so I say so I point to these social justice movements as being um, um, detrimental to the black family. But at the end of the day. We still have volition, we still have autonomy, and we still have decisions to make, regardless of what's going on, regardless of how we're being propagandized and influenced. It's on us to uh, really make our own decisions. And so now that we've had 50 or 60 years of seeing how this has unfolded and the number that it's, uh, that it's done on the black family and the black men, we should resolve to really get our stuff together to stand up and take responsibility, regardless of what president's in office, I don't care if it's Trump or if it's Biden, uh, who, what politician is in office has nothing to do with your responsibility to be a man and to take care of your children. Um, and the more we keep making it about politics and, 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 making, and instead of paying attention to what it's really about, which is the decisions that you make as a man, we're going to continue to spin uh, down this uh, web of confusion. On the it, it, very good stuff, Chad. And it just seems like uh, this this problem has been getting worse and worse instead of better and better. And I know I've had several of the people that are in the Uncle Tom 2 film uh, on the podcast here, Alan West, Dr. Ben Carson, Jesse Lee Peterson. And I've talked to them about this. And usually I, I you know, I, I get crushed on social media whenever I bring a conservative of any color on this podcast. I always get destroyed. And it seems like that's just the natural flow of the way social media is. But here's the issue, Chad, from where we are now, 
how what are the solutions in order to try to strengthen the nuclear family unit, particularly in the black community or the African-American community? What are the steps that are going to be necessary from this point going forward uh, to try to reduce the amount of kids that are growing up without a father in the home? And then uh, as a result of that, filling up the prisons in this country. That's a great question. And I don't know that anybody has <clears throat> the answer um, because it's a multifaceted thing. Uh, you're talking about undoing and and, and reversing uh, 50 plus years of propaganda and a kind of trend out of fatherhood. And so is there a singular thing that can be done to reverse that in the course of a year? I don't know that there is. Um, the fact of the matter is a lot of young men get the their ideas of what it means to be a man from a television screen. So a lot of young men, doesn't matter what color they are, get uh, their ideas of what a man ought to be from a television screen and a radio speaker more than they get it from their fathers, grandfathers, and great-grandfathers. And that's a problem. Uh, the culture has a bigger influence on our children than we do as fathers. Now, not all of us, because a lot of us are being intentional about fatherhood. Uh, but to the extent that uh, those of us who are not being intentional about our fatherhood, uh, unfortunately, our children are being raised to be uh, unbiased consumers of culture. Um, and that's a very interesting phrase, unbiased consumer of culture. What does that mean? Well, what that means is uh, taking wholesale at face value uh, morals and values from the entertainment industry rather than what is good, what is wholesome, what is true from a noble man in your life. And as Frederick Douglass said, it's it's merely impossible to teach grown men. You have to start with the children because they're the ones who are like sponges, who are impressionable and who you can really teach and set them on the course to to success. And so for me, it's important for me to be intentional with my sons and teaching them to be uh, good men and also how to be influential to other young boys around them, to be leaders and role models to other young boys around them. Because chances are, if they're friends with a young boy who doesn't have a father in their life, and rather than uh, uh, going along the current of the peer pressure of degeneracy and decadence, uh, they're being a good role model for their friends. And, and to the extent they're coming around me and my house, I'm also... Uh, giving them an example of what a noble man is, that is the way that we can little by little shift this course uh, that we're uh, currently going down. It also in, in involves stepping up in places where uh, we have exposure to young boys, whether it be, you know, um, foster care systems and schools and um even, you know, juvenile uh, detention centers and our churches, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, as a Christian, I believe uh, wholeheartedly um, that the religion that God finds to be acceptable is that we take care of orphans and widows. And so what that means is as men, we have to be the men in the lives of those kids who don't have a father. Uh, and are we being intentional about that? That's that's the question. 
And, and Chad, I want to ask you, because I get the question a lot because I talk so much about the fatherless crisis. And like you, I don't have the, the silver bullet to, to, to fix this whole thing. Like you said, this has been coming for a long time. So to try to have one thing you can hammer away at and turn it around. I know there are people that are doing really good things. I had Governor Ron DeSantis on the podcast here. Uh, he's doing a fatherhood initiative down there where he passed a bill to help uh, organizations that are trying to really uh, solve this crisis. So there are some people that are out there doing good work. But there is um, there, there just seems to be, uh, man, so many men. You talk about the entertainment industry. It's like if you look before civil rights, like the number one song of a black artist in the middle of the 50s was like Earth Angel. And you fast forward to last year, the number one song by a black artist was Wet Ass Pussy. And right. how in the world could you expect a good outcome from a culture that's constantly? I mean, I drive a lot of Uber on the side, and mm-hmm. not just uh, all kids, like the young people that are listening to these lyrics. I'm like, how in the world could you have a positive outcome from listening to stuff like this? And and but if you say that, you get yourself in all kinds of trouble. And and, and I don't know. I, I know the entertainment industry is making billions of dollars off this stuff, even though I know they say they're anti-gun yet every movie they make is filled with gun violence uh, so th- they have so much control over the young minds and you're right they have more access to our kids sometimes than we do and unless there's some kind of shift that's happening there i don't, I don't know how how you're really going to overcome it yeah yeah we need to make values cool again um because they're not doing that in, in the entertainment industry and it's a shame because our kids have more access to technology than any generation before it. Uh, when I was a kid, I was born in 1990. Um, my parents still had had a record player in the house, and I would, you know, I would peruse their their vinyl records. But other than that, I had a cassette player, and we had VHS. Uh, computers didn't really become super popular uh, for the consumer until I was in, you know, late middle school, early high school, and so. When you fast forward to today, they have the tele, they have the cell phone, they have internet, they have computers, they have TVs in every room, they have all these different things. And so, not only that, but when they go to school, if your kids are in public school, they're getting access to uh, a lot of different uh, corrupting ideologies that are being poured into them by from many different facets. And so, when you look at the scale of who has influence over your children's lives you're but one piece in that and you might not be as emphatic as a lot of these other different things that are being poured into your children and so that's why i say it's that as a father you have to be intentional you have to dispel uh mistruths you have to dispel i guess the the proper word is 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 falsehoods not mistruths but you have to dispel the falsehoods you have to dispel a lot of the culture once again that is degenerate and that will lead you down this road of depression and just weakness and and everything else the fact of the matter is a strong society depends on strong men and moral women and if we aren't raising our kids to be strong men and moral women then this society will fail. It will be destroyed. It will self-implode. And that's that's a fact. And so we have a vested interest in our own survival to raise upright kids. Uh, and that, you know, the, the, the thing I would say that has happened in the middle part of the of the 20th century, and I said 19th century earlier, I misspoke. I meant to say 20th century. One of the things that has happened was this kind of shifting of values where you once had prior to the 1960s and 70s, this very family-oriented values where you were looked upon as 
someone who was worthy of respect if you were a man who had a good career, if you were raising your kids and all the different things. You were looked at as somebody worthy of respect. Uh, what we got in the 60s, not only with civil rights, but also with second wave feminism, the hippie movement, free love movement, a lot of these uh, student movements that were very Marxist in origin, you got the young baby boomers around the time who were rebelling against the adult generation of their day, and they were rebelling against the values of their parents. And so we moved from being a family-oriented culture to a more self-indulging culture. And that's what gave rise to black exploitation. Once again, where you had the glorification of pimping, of hustling, of lady chasing, so on and so forth, drug using, gang banging. Um, it was a kind of, you know, do whatever your heart's desire, be whoever you want kind of culture. And so it became a very me-centric culture. And not only that, you had the uh, decision of Roe v. Wade that came down the, the pipes in 1973. This is all around the same time. What was the subliminal messaging with Roe v. Wade and a lot and a lot of the advocacy uh, of the second wave feminists? Um, as a woman, this is what they were, were trying to project. As a woman, you are a slave to your husband because he sees you as a baby maker and a homemaker and nothing else. It's you can be a, a, a free woman. Uh, with access to abortion, because that will give you the freedom to then go and start a career and to not make babies and do all the things. And so you saw uh, a rapid decline in the number of children that were being born, either because people were just weren't getting married or because they were having sex, but also having abortions, too. And so that kind of of, uh, again, perpetuated this kind of me centric society that we were becoming and that we are. And, and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse since the middle part of the 20th century to this very day. And so, again, talking about the silver bullet, I don't know that there is a singular thing. I think that we have to, to go about this in a multifaceted way. And some of it has to do with propaganda. Are we, are the, those of us who believe in the, a lot of the moral fatherhood values that we're talking about, are those of us who are creatives and who are artistic getting into the entertainment industry and beginning to tell stories with cinema, with music, so on and so forth, that is propagandizing good, upright moral values to the culture. Because the fact of the matter is the degenerates are the ones who are running the culture right now. And so it, and so it includes getting into the culture. It includes getting into the churches. It includes, uh, once again, volunteering in all of the areas where young people don't have access to noblemen. Um, there's a multifaceted way that we have to go about kind of shifting this tide. So, yeah, well, what a difference it would make, Chad, if the messaging started to turn from places like Hollywood and from the music industry. And what an impact that would have on our society for the better. And it's amazing that it won't happen or they won't go that way. And God only know, I know you focus a lot on, on Marxism in the Uncle Tom, too. Uh, Karl Marx, there's no doubt he'd be sharing an ice cream cone with Biden and Obama if he was around today. I mean, he, he couldn't be yeah. happier to see what is happening. And especially too, like the Black Lives Matter movement. I know Candace Owens did a, a big thing on that. Uh, I had her husband on the podcast here. That that was a big hustle from the beginning. And especially, mm -hmm. I know it's been pointed out, I talked about it on the show when, it, when I was reading their, their um, 
you know, their mission statement. We, we seek to uh, disrupt the nuclear family unit. How anybody can get behind that is beyond me. And, and Chad, you would you would think right now from the entertainment industry and from the music industry, the alarm bells would be going off in the black community because according to the FBI statistics, 51.2% of all murders in this country are coming from the African-American community who make up only 13, 14% of the entire population. And if you take out the majority of these murders are being committed by men. So if you cut that number in half, it's only 7%. And then if you take out the people that are 65 and older, it's even a smaller percentage of people that are responsible for making a majority of the crimes in this country. And I cannot believe that black leadership, African-American leadership is not like screaming at the mountaintops to say, hey, we have got to do something to fix this. And I don't know why they wouldn't employ all means necessary, entertainment, music, and attack it from all sides, because that's an alarming number, no? No, it is a very alarming number. But uh, what you just said is is so key. You would think that they would be screaming from the top, but they're not. So the question then becomes, well, why aren't they? Um, they call themselves leaders. They're in positions of leadership. The media tells us that we should trust them because they're the experts and they're the <clears throat> they're the activists and they're the ones who care. If that's true, then why aren't they telling the truth and screaming it from the rooftops and deploying the entertainment industry to echo that truth? The reason is that they aren't interested at all in repairing the issues. They're not interested at all in repairing or fixing the problem or being part of fixing the problem. They have an agenda and the agenda is to secure power for demagogues who, once again, um, want power and control. Uh, the fact of the matter is, if I can keep you killing each other, if I can keep you drunk and high and depressed, that makes me as a, a demagogue politician relevant. Because to the extent that you can't rely on yourself, you need somebody else to take care of you and to control you. And that's where I come in as your politician, as your so-called leader. Uh, our country was built on rugged individualism. Our country was built on the free market uh, it, where American citizens have the ability and the freedom to uh, utilize their own creativity, their own skills, their own talents to make a living for themselves, to make a way for themselves where they don't need the government or anyone else to take care of them. Uh, this is why America has the most inventions compared to other countries. This is why people are leaving their own countries from all over the world to get to America because they understand the opportunities that we have here. Uh, our country, once again, was built on rugged individualism. And so the fact of the matter is that to the extent that black fathers, black men and black boys begin to uh, shake off the victimhood and shake off uh, the violence and the degeneracy and the decadence and begin to take seriously their responsibility and their role as men as, and fathers and raise good, upright children who are not susceptible to the entertainment machine. The more we begin to do that, the, the more we will realize that we don't need the politicians as much as, you know, we, we think we do, that we don't need the so-called race leaders as much as we think we do. The last thing that these demagogue politicians and so-called black leaders want is to be irrelevant, is to be not needed, because that takes away their power, that takes away their control. And so they rather keep people in the inner city, killing each other, high, drunk, confused, indifferent, frivolous. They'd rather keep them in that state, because the more they remain in that state, the more 
the so-called leaders get to keep their control and power. Yeah, and the, and the other big part of this too, uh, Chad, that I talk about as well is we've not only removed the father from the home, but our heavenly father from our society. And when you take God out of it, you take yeah. the father out of it. It's just a <clears> recipe <throat> for disaster. And the reason I think why so many people are straying away from God, away from faith, away from Christianity is because of the responsibility that it puts on the individual. And so and I know just from being a former alcoholic and uh, an addict that I was powerless to stop it because I blamed everybody else for what I was doing. I had that mentality of protecting the disease at all costs. Like nothing was going to come in the way of it until I realized it was me that it was a, I was able to start healing that problem. So uh, I know that that victim mentality, boy, it, it is a detriment to whoever comes in co- across it. And it seems like it's happening at an alarming rate. And I wanted to just tap into you now as a dad, because I always hear we always hear this thing with uh, black fathers. We have to have the talk uh, with our children about telling them that they're going to be assaulted because of their color. They're going to be judged because of their color. Did, did, did you have this? Did you have this talk with your children? What, what how do you uh, obviously you talk about this stuff? You do uh, a documentary filmmaker the whole bit. How do you kind of discuss these issues with your kids? So the thing is, when you're already disciplining your kids and you're teaching them manners, and you're teaching them values, and you're teaching them virtues, and so on and so forth, you don't need to have the so-called talk. Anybody who tells me that, oh, I have to have a talk with my sons and daughters, what you're, what you're inadvertently telling me is that you're not already teaching your kids values and discipline. Because the thing is, you, what, you're, what you're saying, kind of in an underhanded way, is that I have punted the responsibility of raising my children to the culture i understand and i can see that it's the making of a unproductive degenerate person however when it comes to this one thing namely being pulled over by a police officer i want them to conduct themselves in an upright way so as to not uh, uh, lose their life at the hands of a police officer for doing or saying the wrong thing and so for me it's like it negates your responsibility to be already teaching your kids discipline and and just how to be an upright individual. And so my children, if you meet them, you'll notice that they're very respectable children. They'll tell you, yes, sir, and no, sir. Um, they'll look you in the eye and shake your hand firmly. Um, you won't see them doing a lot of of foolish things. And if they were, all it really takes from me is a look for them to get, you know, to, to start acting right. And so they know that when it comes to a person in, you know, law authority or, or what have you, um, how to conduct themselves and to be upright. Like when it comes to having a talk with your child about how to conduct yourself when you're being pulled over by the police, I don't think that that's unique to black people. I think that anybody of any race should know that whenever you get pulled over by the police, you're supposed to, uh, in a sense, comply with the basic things that they're asking you, the information they're trying to get, uh, obviously within reason. And if you feel like something is going awry or if you feel like you you are being mistreated by the police officer or that they're, that they're doing something nefarious, then take their badge number and have your, your day in court. Um, you don't need to be black to tell your children that. So, Yeah, and it seems like I love what you say there, too, because it's like if you are this person that respects elders, is polite to everybody and you hold the door open for the person behind you, if you're this person that's got that built in respect, 
why would you expect all of a sudden then to treat a police officer different? Like it wouldn't be in your character to do that from the mm-hmm. beginning. So I don't understand that as well. Uh, so I, 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 I'm just curious too, Chad, because I know that anytime we talk about this stuff, it, it ruffles a lot of fellows, especially, you know, with the film, Uncle Tom 2, you go into Martin Luther King, who seems to be untouchable. I mean, we want to tear down everybody else's past and have a revision of everybody's past, but he's untouchable and you touch on it in this film. What has been, I know, I remember I had Dinesh D'Souza on when he came out with the 2000 Mules. That video that interview got banned on YouTube, the whole bit. It, people just came out in mm-hmm. full force to attack me after I had him on for that. Has the has the response been that kind of way for you? What's been the response? Obviously, not from the right. Uh, the conservatives, obviously, I'm sure, are, are very appreciative of the film. What has been the response from the left? Are you, are you waking people up with this film? What's been the response from that side? Well, I would say that the movie... In, in my personal opinion, you know, people who uh, help make it might have a difference of opinion, and that's okay. But I think the film is more for conservatives than it is for for leftists, uh, because leftists already don't believe the things that we believe. And the, the fact of the matter is, whether you're on the right or the left of the political spectrum, we all went to the same schools growing up. We all were taught the same things, so we all start with the same preconceived notions and the same presuppositions. Namely, that the civil rights movement was a high point for America, that Martin Luther King was a hero, that the the past is is deeply racist and oppressive toward black people. And after looking into those things and doing extensive research, I found that most of what we're taught about our history, most of what they're saying is untrue. And it's important to understand, to, to go back and understand the past because it helps you make sense of where we are today. There will be no Black Lives Matter without the success of the civil rights movement. And there will be other uh, so-called civil rights movements that come along because we're so easily duped and we're, we're so easily bamboozled by social justice movements. The fact of the matter is white people and black people were getting along throughout the 20th century. Uh, they were getting along because they were uh, familiarizing themselves with each other in the marketplace. They were, uh, in a sense, uh, defying some of the state-mandated segregation laws and those laws were being repealed and they were falling off the books well before the civil rights movement as i said earlier and so we were getting along that wasn't being covered in the news we talk about shadow banning today we talk about suppressing today on social media that's nothing new they were they've always done that they've always uh uh, ignored the extent to which there was racial harmony in the south and only focused on not only did they focus on racial tension they exacerbated and exaggerated racial tension in order to uh, uh, again make relevant and make necessary the so-called civil rights movement and its heroes and so much of what we think we know about our past and the events is either wrong or not the whole truth and that's important to pay attention to so to answer your question as far as how this film has been received it's been overwhelmingly positive the reception that it's gotten And the reason for that is because even though we're covering some pretty serious topics, even though we're turning over some sacred stones and we are looking at these things objectively and critically, we're doing so in a tasteful way. We're doing so in a palatable way that people can kind of follow along with and and connect the dots, go along the journey with us. We're not coming off bashful. We're not coming off uh, reckless. We are following the facts where they lead. And I think people are appreciative of that um, because, you know, the, the the film unfolds much like how a person thinks. You know, 
um, it doesn't go in the face. It kind of gradually takes you to where we're trying to take you. And again, we're, we're, we're following the facts. We're giving you the evidence. We're not just giving you hearsay and opinion and, uh, and in a reckless way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, and I'm going to drop a link uh, to the movie in the description of this podcast episode, Uncle Tom 2. I'm going to drop it there. My listeners, I encourage everybody to, to check it out and, and see what it's all about. And, and you're right. It's, it seems like I remember growing up, Chad, it was like, you know, when we played a game of pickup football or whatever we were doing. Nobody cared what color you were. You, if the kid could catch, we wanted him on the team. If he could tackle, can you tackle somebody? That's all that mattered. Like, and even I, I work for the railroad right. now. I've been doing that for, for over two decades working on the railroad, which is a huge melting pot. And you have people on, on, the, on the job that are loads and you have people that are going to put the day's work in. And nobody wants to be around. The, the color doesn't matter. If you're a load, I don't want to spend a day working with you. Give me the guy that's going to get the job done so we get the hell out of here. And, and it just seems like we've right. made everything so much about the race. And I think everyone's kind of getting sick and tired of it. And hopefully uh, we see some changes coming soon. So props <laughs> to you. Uh, for the Uncle Tom film, and and I've kept you here. I, the last thing I want to hit you with, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, what kind of advice do I have for that new dad? Uh, basically, be a man. Um, and, you know, I understand that in the age where they're trying to push this term toxic masculinity and, and all of that other nonsense, uh, a lot of us are too afraid to be men. Uh, we don't know really what that means. But, um, you know, be a man, uh, be uh, a father to your child. Don't be a friend to your child. Um, yeah, they're cute and everything when they're babies. And, you know, um, they especially if they're girls, you know, they just, you know, <laughs> turn you into a puddle. Uh, my girls certainly do, um, especially when I get home and they run to me and they want to sit in my lap and everything. Um, um, so, yeah, enjoy that time. But at the end of the day, remember to be an exemplary man because your boys, you want them to grow up and you want them to follow in your footsteps as a noble man. And your girls, you want them to grow up and marry somebody like you. So it's it's important for you to be an example on both fronts, whether it be uh give you again your daughters an example of the kind of man they ought to marry and to give your sons an example of the man they ought to be yeah very well said i love the message this has been an honor for me i gotta say chad jackson you're a first class father all the way and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on first class fatherhood thank you i appreciate that you have been listening to first class fatherhood first class fatherhood is a family made media podcast please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.